All right, are you ready for the word this morning? I'm excited about this. The message today, it's just a standalone. We just one by itself, no series here. And then so will next Sunday's be as well. And then we'll start a new series after Easter. But the title of the message this morning is called The Cross of Jesus Christ, Offense and Power. The Cross of Jesus Christ, Offense and Power. Say that second sentence with me, Offense and Power, okay? Our message today is based on the text found in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, and it reads like this. The message of the cross is foolish. Everybody say foolish. It's foolish to those who are headed for destruction. Another translation says it is foolishness to those who are perishing. The message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction, but we who are being saved know it is the very what? Say it. Power of God. Say power. We who are, notice it is present progressive tense. We are being saved. Know that it is the very power of God. And I'll touch that in just a moment. One thing, the cross of Jesus Christ, the hinge point of history, began a revolution that changed everything. The cross of Jesus Christ the hinge point of history, began a revolution that, past tense, changed everything. Say that with me one more time. Here we go. The cross of Jesus Christ, the hinge point of history, began a revolution that changed everything. Bow your hearts with me, please, for a word of prayer. Gracious God, we come before you this morning and we ask that you would bring our hearts into a place of unity and remembrance of those things that you've spoken to us. We recall that the night before Jesus was betrayed, carried into mock trials, he was with his disciples and told them about another comforter who would come and would bring all things into their remembrance, those things which he had spoken unto them. Holy Spirit, we look to you today and we ask you that you would do what only you can do. I can't do it. I, I'm not strong enough. I'm not persuasive enough. This is not a work of man. This is a work of God. Holy Spirit, we lean into you today. We need you. Thank you that we recognize that we're just a conduit, a channel, a vessel. And I ask you, Father, that you would do a work in every heart that is hearing this, those that are sitting here in this second service today, those that are listening over the Internet or over our app or whatever it means. We ask you, Father, that you would tailor-make a message that would speak directly to the need in every individual's life who hears these words. We'll be careful to give you praise and glory and honor and all of God's people said. Amen. The cross of Jesus Christ, the hinge point of history, began a revolution that changed everything. Today is Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday in the church calendar is... A celebration of the final week before Jesus is crucified on Good Friday in the grave on Holy Saturday, comes out of the ground in celebration of triumph over death on Resurrection Sunday. It is a very interesting week. As a matter of fact, when you read the Gospel of John, that happens to be where I am in my own personal devotional reading right now. I'm in the book of Numbers in the Old Testament reading the proverb for the day, five of the Psalms, 
and I'm in the Gospel of John. I've already read through Matthew, Mark, and Luke through the spring of the year, January, February, March, April. And yesterday I was in, or Friday morning rather, I was in John 12. John 12 is where it all begins to change. Half of the Gospel of John is devoted to the last week of Jesus' ministry. Literally, 11 chapters before are primary miracles, sign miracles that point to something greater than itself. Have all been documented and declared and the glory of God's been revealed through the writer John the Beloved, one of the disciples who is the writer of the book of Revelation, also the, the letters of John, the epistles, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John and Revelation. Not to be confused with the cousin of Jesus who was John the Baptist. Okay. Half of the book, half of the book is about this last week of Jesus' life, his ministry. Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey and he's greeted by a parade of praise. For years we've gone one way or the other. We've either had loose palm branches that people have, a few folk have, have, have waved with real exuberance, some with a little bit of reticence and some out of obligation. There were some years where we would buy those, those live palm branches and we would cut them and literally form crosses that we would pin to the pell of every person who came in. And they would wear them out, signifying the, the Palm Sunday celebration of Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, as it's called in the Gospels. It was prophesied in the Old Testament that this one, the one who's coming, would ride in and be meek and ride lowly King James says on an ass, or we, we say, we call it a donkey. Uh, specifically, it was, was an ass and the foal, or an ass's colt. So it was a, a mother donkey and then the child, the colt of that mother. And literally, two of them side by side, he's riding in. A lot of folks don't know that. You read the Bible, it's in there. And it's prophesied, particularly in Zechariah, that this coming Messiah is one who's going to enter. And it's interesting because he didn't ride in on a steed or a stallion a conquering symbol, one that would be a metaphor for empire, one that would be uh, representative of possibly the Roman Empire, the governing factor in all of the known world at the time, under the Caesar. But when Jesus rode into Jerusalem, he rode in on a donkey, not a powerful conquering stallion, but a defenseless, meek, lowly donkey. It was a picture of this reigning king slash suffering servant that the Old Testament gives us over and over again. It's an amazing thing to me that somehow half of that picture got lost on the religious establishment of, of Jesus' day. He rides into a parade of praise and folk are shouting, Hosanna! Waving the palm branches. Hosanna in the highest! Hosanna, son of David! Which was a prophetic declaration that this was the one that they thought was a potential candidate. It wasn't just a possible king, but this was the greater son of David that was showing up, riding in, being treated like a king in a royal robe. Not a, the royal robe of men with bedecked with the jewels of conquest, but it was just a simple purple, just simple fabric. But the color itself declared that this was a royal, powerful man riding in, lowly, yet powerful and influential, but yet position of a servant, not a conqueror, not a tyrant, not a dictator, but a loving servant, one who gets up underneath the struggle that you and I face, one who 
comes to us quietly and gently and not with a hammer fist of intimidation. He rode into Jerusalem. But a strange thing happened. Everybody was excited on, on Sunday morning as he rode in on the first day of the week. The folks were shouting in a parade of praise. But as the days continued to unfold, and that last week of Jesus' life literally is unfolded spending time with those closest to him, and we come down on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then Monday, Thursday, where Jesus is sitting in the upper room with his disciples and he talks to them after two days of teaching, of Tuesday and Wednesday, teaching them about the work and the, the ministry and the power of this Holy Spirit, the comforter that he's going to send. And I'm going away so that he can come. And yet they're going, no, 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 you can't go anywhere. Jesus revealed the plan of God to his closest to him, those his comrades, his compatriots, his disciples. He had mentored them for three and a half years, but yet they were blinded and couldn't hear and couldn't see repeatedly. As a matter of fact, one time when Jesus said something about dying, Peter rebuked him and he said, Oh, not so, Lord. And Jesus turned and looked at Peter and he called him Satan, adversary, Satan. Get behind me. You're a stumbling block. You're an offense to me. Get behind me, Satan, for you, you don't understand the things of God. You think you know everything, but you've got another thing coming, Pete. By the end of the week, the shouts of Hosanna had turned to cries of crucify. The central concept that we're rolling into this week in, in Holy Week, we're coming up to this central place the, the central idea of what happens this week, and it's, it's a cross. It's a cross that Jesus is going to have to carry himself up a hill called Golgotha, or the place of the skull. What is it about this cross that is so offensive to us? What is it about this idea that is portrayed in this Roman Empire where they regularly take the lives of felons and criminals and dissenters and revolutionaries? That is it. That's the answer to the question itself, is that it was a means of execution. We'd seen different kinds used in the past where folk were drawn and quartered, where folk were speared and, and with a sword killed and drawn and cut asunder in all kinds of ways, their heads chopped off, hung from a gallows, all kinds of execution or means of taking the life of someone has been demonstrated throughout history, political history, world history. But in this moment in time, when Rome is the ruling power in the known world, the means by which they were able to control the masses and quell the dissent and deal with the revolutionaries and the rebels was this very public, disgusting form of execution. And it's not just two nails in the hands and one into the feet. What literally happens in crucifixion is that you drowned. Some of you are going, wait a minute, there, that's not possible. There's no water around. You're hanging up in between. You're in the air between heaven and earth. But literally what happens in just trying to heave yourself up to catch the breath, your lungs begin to fill with fluid. And the cruelty of this is that it is a gross, painful, extended, drawn-out, public taking of a person's life. And this is what the Romans used during this time. Isn't that interesting that it's the fulfillment of what Moses spoke in the book of Deuteronomy when he said, cursed is every man that hangs on a tree. It just so happened that in the time of Jesus' life, it was two pieces of timber 
forming a cross from a tree that they would use to take the lives of people who were revolutionaries and rebels. Why then is it so offensive? That's part of the answer I've just given you. But listen to what the scripture says. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 19, As the scriptures say, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and discard the intelligence of the intelligent. So where does this leave the philosophers, the scholars, and the world's brilliant debaters? God has made the wisdom of this world look foolish. Since God in His wisdom saw to it that the world would never know would never know him through human wisdom. He has used our foolish preaching to save those who believe. Foolish preaching to save those who believe. Are you all with me this morning? Let me get a little drink. I'm, I'm, I'm taking a blood pressure medication that makes me really dry. He says, it is foolish to the Jews who ask from signs or ask for signs from heaven and it is foolish to the Greeks who seek human wisdom. All of these folks are looking at all of this from an, an entirely human perspective as far as the limitations of their natural reasoning give them the ability to discern. They have to stop at that point because all they see is the death of a criminal. There is no conquering king here. There is no reigning uh, advance of a kingdom of God coming to Israel. It was the hopes of something of a guy who, who, who opened a few blind eyes, might have raised a dead man or two, did some miracles, you know, held a fish and chips day for a great big crowd one day and took five loaves and two fish and fed 20,000. That's pretty cool. No, you know, that doesn't happen every day. But he's still hanging on a cross. Rome is executing him. So when you read the word crucify in the Bible, it's become a religious churchy term. You've got to remember, it's a man being executed. Everybody say executed. So when you wear a cross, you, you, you don't think about it as a Christian, but you're wearing a symbol of execution. What if you wore a, a, a syringe, a lethal injection syringe in a little gold-plated or gold, solid gold, not gold-plated, obviously, but you, or, or sterling silver or whatever. What if, you, what if you ladies had a little gallows with a noose hanging on it from your ears? What if you had a charm bracelet that had an electric chair dangling off of it? You have all those crosses in all those places. I'm wearing one this morning under my shirt cross and that symbol is powerful but yet in that moment in time it was a symbol of offense rock stars and pop artists and hip-hop artists have all literally robbed us of the meaning of this offensive and powerful symbol at the same time because it has just become so familiar to us it's, it seems to have lost its meaning for us in the United States of America unless you are a true Believer in Jesus Christ. Don't shout me down because I'm telling the truth. Verse 23 is on the, the wall. Read it with me. So when we preach that Christ was crucified, the Jews are what? Offended. And the Gentiles say it's all nonsense. Everybody say offended. Offended is one of those wonderful terms, and especially those people, the Jews, they're not just talking about the average people, they're talking particularly about the Jews that were controlling the religious establishment of the day because they had expectations for this reigning king that was going to show up. They had, they had political aspirations. Now, I don't want to be offensive. I'm going to use a phrase, and you will see a connection that, that I'm going to draw on purpose 
but I just want you to listen to me. Don't get offended because there are people on every political spectrum here in this room, and I thank, that, I thank God for that. That's a healthy church. Because when you really come down to it, there's not any either side that has all the answers. Sometimes if you really are honest, you, you, you want to go, okay, you know, I'm not with that guy's party, but he just said something or she just said something that, that makes sense. And, you know, we have to learn how to be able to give and take a little bit. Somebody say amen. Okay. And so they had political aspirations because they wanted to make Israel great again. That's quiet in here. I'm not making fun of anybody, but you can get such a narrow view and perspective on what you think is supposed to be done that you lose the real vision that God had for Israel. And it wasn't just to make them a ruling nation, but it was to make them a nation of priests that would serve all the other nations. Because God's desire wasn't just to make Israel special. It was to make Israel a servant leader so that they could serve all of the other ethnos, all of the other tribes, all the other Gentiles that they like to refer to as dogs. Now, that didn't start that way. A religious establishment that took over started to create that kind of a mentality in their hearts. And it had a long stronghold that was established and they wanted to do everything they could to protect their vested interest and their influence. Show me the money. Well, the money was tied up to a corrupt priesthood. That's where the money was. Not unlike political issues on both sides or political people on both sides of the aisle. Somebody say amen. And that's offensive to us today. What offended these folks, and I want you to see this word, the word for offense, says the Jews are offended and the Gentiles, they, they, they just think it's a bunch of foolishness. The word offense in the Greek is skandalon. Everybody say skandalon. Now, if we make it a little more Arkansas and we say skandalon, you can almost see the, Greek, the English word. What is the English word there? Scandal. As a matter of fact, when you read the voice translation of this very same scripture, 1 Corinthians 1.23, it says to the Jews, the cross is scandalous. That is by far the best translation for today in the 21st century because we can use the word offense and it can mean 75 different things to the people in the room. But the word offense in the Greek literally carries the idea of, of a scandal. Something has scandalized us. And the, the scandalon is, is a specific trip mechanism. We bought a house in Marion in 1996, lived in the same house these last 23, it'll be 23 years, May the 10th. And I, and I know the reason, it's, I know why it's May the 10th, because I graduated with another degree from A-State that night, and we signed our papers on our house on Geelan that morning. And so that's burned into my mind. And the, it was, it, it was a bean field for 150 years before we showed up, and, or some kind of agricultural thing, maybe not a bean field. And so when it gets a little bit cool outside, the, 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 the hosts of mice start in. How many of you have had to fight mice? You know what, man, I have, I have, I have stuffed um, steel wool into every crack I can find. I've had corners and crevices sealed. And I can lay in my bed at night after I've had this, this termite pest company come out and lay those little, you know, traps that they squirm and get stuck to. The sticky traps. And, and still I have to go down to here to Small Mart and I have to buy, interestingly enough, they're called victory traps. I like that. <laughs> Give me a big old spoon of peanut butter and I put it right there on that little, little mechanism. And I pull that thing back very tenuously. I, oh, yeah. 
it got me. I have to, I, I have to repent, not for what I thought, not for what I said, but maybe for what I thought. And I didn't say, and I caught my tongue. How many of you done that? I've got to pull it back again. I've got to put that little strangely shaped wire tenuously in that little bitty, barely could get it in there, little trip mechanism. That little trip mechanism on that mousetrap is called the scandalon. It's what happens when the mouse comes up there and gets some of that Peter Pan and, and he kind of forgets what happens to his other cousins when they get too much Peter Pan and they get drunk on Jif or whatever. And guess what happens? He touches the trigger and he gets scandalized. It's a scandal. This is what's happened. This is what happens when you get offended. When somebody sort of puts you under a miffed bush. Now some of you are going, what did he just say? That's some old timey granddad Blake talk is what that is right there. So anybody know what a miff bush is? You're all miffed and you just you just under that miff bush. And you miffed because you've been offended. And you're offended because you got trapped. Because you let something petty catch you in your emotions and you won't give it up. You, you won't let go of it and you won't forgive where Jesus told us. He didn't say when they finally show up and ask you to forgive them, forgive. He said, no, set yourself free and let it go. Forgive them. And some folk, some folk who set out just to try to ruffle your feathers, that'll drive them crazy because they see that you're not going to let it ruffle their feathers. But we all get scandalized. We've all been offended. We've been offended by our spouse, by our mate, by our job, by our employer. But we've been offended by God. If you think for a second that I wasn't looking up out from under the trigger mechanism when Dawn died, you were out of your mind. I was offended. That's the biggest struggle that my family has had to face because Abby said, Dad, I don't get it. I, I fasted. I left food off. I marched around my apartment in Nashville quoting Scripture and trusting God to heal my mom. And it didn't happen like I expected it to happen. Oh, help me, Jesus. And we get offended. We get stuck. We're trapped. And the Jews were in that place of entrapment. They were scandalized because this suffering servant was a part of the prophecy that Jesus had given for, or I'm sorry, that, that the Father had given through prophets for 4,000 years, but yet they somehow missed this throughout the whole of the Bible. Every time you turn around, you've got, you've got God showing up in a way that demonstrates to the people what is going to come and finally fulfill this longing for this Yeshua HaMashiach, this anointed one who will set all things right. Because everybody knows down in your heart, even if you don't believe in God, you know that the world is messed up and jacked up and something is not right about it. You feel the angst and you feel the pressure and the tension and the stress and you're going, this is, can't be what life is all about. And we struggle and we're disappointed we're frustrated and we hurt and every one of us God has put eternity down into our hearts Ecclesiastes 3 and we know there's something better than this we know there's something more than this 
Too many times folks spend all their time trying to climb the ladder of success. As Stephen Covey said in that book we did, went through for 10 weeks, only to find out they got to the top of the ladder, but it was leaning against the wrong wall. Everything in the Old Covenant leans into, it leans forward into the expectation of the coming anointed one. Everybody say expectation. Say, say I expect. Now, the deal is, is that so many times the expectations that we have can either be a blessing or a curse to us. Because even the religious establishment of Jesus' day itself expected a Messiah to be coming. But when he showed up, they didn't see him because it wasn't what they expected or how they expected him to come. He's supposed to conquer. He's supposed to knock Rome down. He's supposed to ride in on a stallion and not a donkey. Are you kidding me? You guys are supposed to know the word. Zechariah says he'll come in on, the, on an ass and the foal of an ass. A donkey. How did they miss it so badly? All the Old Testament prophecies showed us. You know, when you, when you hearken back to the story that faithful Jews have been telling for thousands of years, it's all a remembrance of how God met them at the very first Passover when they were slaves in the land of Egypt controlled by a dictator by the name of Pharaoh. God raised up the prophet Moses and after 10 outrageous Hollywood production level miracles that he shows with plagues and fire and water turning to blood and finally the last one with the, the death of the firstborn. Well, the firstborn in Egypt died, but the firstborn, the firstborn of faithful Israel protected because God had said, I want you to take a lamb and slay the lamb and take the blood and put it in a bowl and take the hyssop that springs out of the walls. It's kind of a bushy little plant. And they would take the hyssop, dip into the bowl of lamb's blood, and they would strike the lentils down and across other side of the door down and across they would go up above the door and they would strike down and across and that that image was impressed into their minds for 4,000 years before the actual scene showed up with a taller cross in the middle they just didn't recognize that this candidate for a king who rode in on a donkey would be the holy son of God dying on the cross in the middle with two thieves on both of his sides but something, something was familiar about it because it had been burned into their thinking that God brought them out of Egypt by the blood of the Lamb and the water crossing the Red Sea and the Spirit baptized into the cloud as they breathed it in that God might now in the New Covenant use those same real, true spiritual elements, not the blood of a natural lamb, but the final blood once and for all. Can you imagine how many millions of animals Bulls and goats and rams and sheep and doves. Lord, help the poor people because if they couldn't afford a dove, they would have to catch a pigeon. I mean, can you imagine that? Even the sacrificial system showed status. The poor folk would show up to bring an offering for the newborn son or daughter and they were so poor they couldn't afford a dove and so they would have a, they would have a dirty bird, the pigeon. They would have to offer that pigeon. In the middle of all of this, something went way awry. And a few powerful, very wealthy folks controlled all of this and they weren't interested in Jesus coming to town and upsetting their apple cart. Which is a lot of the way religion is today. Even religion in the Bible Belt South. I, 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 don't, 
I don't want to come across in any kind of way as to make you think that we are elitist or that we think we're anybody, that we're better than anybody else. But I question sometimes that if Jesus walked into half the churches in the South, that they would even have the eyes to see and recognize him. Would we know him here? I hope. I'd like to think so. But I can't answer that for every person every heart that's sitting here listening to this to me this morning. Because there's something so powerful about this offensiveness of the cross that I must embrace. They, they expected Jesus, they expected this Messiah to show up in a certain way and he didn't show up the way that they thought he was going to show up. Throughout the whole of the Old Covenant, there are two primary pictures that are given over and over again. A coming reigning king who is a suffering servant. Somehow they decided just to take all of those pictures out of the photo album. I'm not interested in the suffering part. I just want the prosperity and the reigning part. Sounds kind of like the church today, with some of our twisted doctrine. I just want, want to be victorious. Don't want to have any tribulation. Cherry-picking the scripture, and we do it. Let's don't look back on them with judgment, because we do it. Y'all are quiet this morning. How did, they, how, did, how, did, how did this happen? They're like kids at Christmas. We turn in our, our Christmas wish list. And, 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 you know, when I was a kid, this was before Amazon.com. This was way before Walmart. You know, we we so excited when the Sears Christmas catalog showed up at our house. Oh, my goodness. Me and my little brother Dewey would get so excited, and he, he would get it for one day, and then I'd get it the next day, and we, would all, we were writing down our Christmas list. And we made sure that we wrote it down way in advance so mom could be sure and call and order it and get all that stuff that we wanted and we just really needed and we had to have. Mom, if you'll get this for me, I'll, be, I'll wash the dishes for the next year. Mom, if you'll get this for me, I'll bye, 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 bye. Now, y'all, some of you young folks think I'm just an old man outside of his mind up here babbling, but this is how we, this is how we got stuff. We didn't, we didn't have an app. There was no Sears app. We picked up the telephone and we called in a certain particular number, an order number for the stuff, and then it didn't get delivered by a drone in 24 hours. It took two weeks to get there. Are y'all with me this morning? And in those days back then, we would get that Sears catalog and we would just salivate looking because all the latest and the newest and the coolest toys and the really cool stuff was in there. And so Dewey and I agreed we needed some stuff that was each individually our own, but we wanted some stuff that would be ours together. And I was about 10 years old and Dewey was about 6, and so we decided we were going to have some walkie-talkies so we could play war and we could play spy. And he could go around the block and I could be in the neighborhood over here on this side of the house. Come in, come in, come in, Dewey, come in. And so we put down on our list, we had our numbers, and mom and dad said, yeah, now, you know, we can't get all of that, but we'll get you, we'll, get it, we'll do what we can. And man, I heard that my whole life. Now, you know, we're just working and doing the best we can. <laughs> okay, mom, I'll be, we'll be happy whatever you get. Well, that, what, that was a line, ball-faced line out my teeth. <laughs> now, mama, daddy, you know, if we, don't, we, can't get, we can't afford all this, then we do want that set of walkie-talkies and maybe one or two things that are individually our own. But we want this to be able to play with. We're a couple of boys. We want to get out in the yard and hide in the bushes and come in, come in, come in, you know. In those days, Sears had three categories of quality. It was, come on, if you, re, if you remember, help me. It was good. 
Only old folks remember, okay? I, I do. I'm, I'll be in your category. Everybody say it one more time. Good, better, bad. Well, you know, we were just little lower middle class folks, mom and dad, both working hard, living paycheck to paycheck. And most of the time we had good. Sometimes we'd get better. We never did do best. I don't know why my mama felt compelled to buy me jeans in the first grade from Sears because they put a big old leather patch right on my butt that said husky. Do you know what that does for all the other boys in school when you're walking around with husky on your, on your blessed assurance? That worked on my psyche for a couple of years. It never did affect me enough to make me give up what I love to do, which was eat, but it worked with all my... <laughs> Y'all having a good time this morning? I am whether you are or not. And I just want to tell you that the coolest thing happened that year because when we opened our presents, Mom let us open. She said, well, if you're going to open a present, I'm going to let you both open one each. This was Christmas Eve. We had to wait, wait and do the rest of them on Christmas Day. And so we, she set it up so we would open our walkie-talkies. So here, Dewey, Michael, y'all open these. We opened them up, and I looked at it, and it won't the color that I asked for. It won't the brand I ask for. And I just kind of, I think I had the look on my face. Oh, thanks, Mom and Dad. And, and she said, well, we've already put the batteries in. Turn them on. And I said, okay. And I guess she could tell I was under the myth bush. <laughs> I was trapped in the scandalon. And she said, now, Michael, I know you think you're being cheated here, but they were out of the good that we couldn't, couldn't get a hold of. They were out of it. And in this day and time, Sears was all about customer satisfaction. That died about 40 years ago. They're out of business now. And if you ordered the good and they didn't have it in stock, they would bump you up and give you the, best, the better for the same price. Anybody remember that? Am I so dating myself that nobody knows what I'm talking about? Mom ordered the good, because that's new, the category I had to order in, and the, the good wasn't in stock, and neither was the better. We got the best. This, listen, listen to me, listen, listen, don't, don't clap yet. Listen, how many times do we pray and ask God to do something in our lives, and he doesn't show up the way we expected him to show up, and we are all up under the myth bush, offended at God? When he has to say, now wait a minute, I, I know you think you've gotten gypped here, but what I've given you is way better than what you asked for. I tell you, I'd, I'd sure get a better response in an African-American church than y'all are acting this morning. How many of you hear what I'm saying? This is what is so powerful. They expected something, and when it didn't happen the way they thought it would, they were disappointed, and then their disappointment turned into anger. And what I want you to see this morning is the offense of the cross is that the glory of God is hidden in it. The power of God is, is not open for you to see. You have to kneel at that cross and Kiss that cross and get a mouthful of splinters. 
until you come through that cross and the, the work of the transforming power of the Holy Spirit touches your life and you think it's death to everything until you get a good taste of the real Zoe, the eternal life of God. And God says, I'm giving you better than you way ever. You didn't have sense enough to know what to expect. This is way better than you ever expected. The cross of Jesus Christ is the hinge point of history. It began a revolution that changed everything. I had two points this morning because I thought it was going to be short, and here I am, crunched for time. Just hang with me. I'm going to put it in turbo. Where is the power in this weakness? Because it's, it's, a, it's an appearance of complete defeat. The reigning king is dying on a cruel cross of execution at the hand of the Romans. Proverbs 25.2 says, It is the glory of God to conceal a thing, but it's the honor of kings to search out a matter. Everybody say, hide and seek. Say it again, hide and seek. God's playing hide and seek with you because he's hidden the blessing in the circumstances that you're cursing, but your very answer and your blessing is in those very things you're cursing. There's a cross there that you have to embrace and kiss. But that cross is what's going to transform you and give you the strength to prepare you for the destiny that God has for you because he's got a dream for you bigger than you could ever have and what he's giving is going to be way better than you ever expected. I'm preaching so much better than y'all are acting this morning. There was glory in the cross, but it was a hidden glory. It wasn't an upfront, triumphant glory. It was a glory that they weren't going to see for three days until Jesus got up out of the ground, which we're going to celebrate next Sunday. But the crazy thing is they didn't know he was going to come alive again, which is one of the most fun parts of history when I teach it on the college level. It's a thing called contingency. That's the fact that every one of our leaders in the past have made creative, courageous, outrageous Faith-filled decisions. They didn't know what was going to happen. And so many times the tide turned in their favor. But when they made the decision, they didn't know that was what was going to happen. The feet of King George III in the American Revolution. Guys laid their lives on the line, didn't know if they would win or lose. But they, they fought it like they would win it, and they won it. Are you hearing me this morning? There's a portion of your life right now that's contingent. You don't have the final answer to it, but you keep pressing in faith. And you keep looking for the goodness of God to show up. The kingdom that Jesus inaugurated is a counterintuitive, upside-down kingdom. Everybody say those two words, upside-down. Power in the world system is from the top down. The kingdom of God is a bottom-up, serve-to-lead kind of proposition. Jesus said, if you want to be great, be the servant of all. Status in the world is an appearance, material, external, temporary kind of status. But in the kingdom of God, it's about not the outside, but it's about your heart. They were anointing a new king, and seven sons of Jesse came forward, and the handsome, strapping, muscled-up, good-looking dudes all passed by, and, and Samuel passed them all over and passed the rod, the prophetic rod, and said, no, these aren't the ones. And they had to call David out of a sheep shed. And he said, man looks at the outer appearance, but God looks on the what? On the heart. The heart, your relationships, what's internal is what is eternal. I'm going to quote Maximus from Gladiator, one of my favorite movies. The things that we do in time echo in eternity. That's just another way of saying what we sow, we will. In life, 
in the world, we live to die. We live in the moment. But in the kingdom of God, we die to our own desires so that we can come alive and live a life that is eternal and immortal. Somebody say amen. And our resources, the world operates on the concept of scarcity. We take, we grasp, we hoard, we protect what's mine. It's based on fear, and it makes us stingy. But in the kingdom of God, it's the principle of abundance. I give, I share, there's an openness. It's out of love, and it creates a spirit of generosity. It's crazy. Proverbs says, there is that which withholdeth and yet tends to poverty, but there is that which gives and yet finds its place in abundance. Somebody said one time, this world is about making everything you can and then can what you make and then guard the can. Jesus said it's better to give than it is to receive. You know what, it took some maturity for me to understand that. Because when I was that little 11-year-old kid wanting some personal individual toys and some stuff that Dewey and I could share together, it was all about what I could get, what I could receive. And I had to grow to the point and have enough blessing and prosperity in my life that I didn't need anything and didn't want a whole lot, and I could just be able to say, you know what, the greatest gift that I have is when I can bless somebody else. It touches me on a deep level, on a visceral level. There was a gentleman yesterday who was so touched by what Dr. Rhodes and the other dentists were doing and what we as a church were serving them so that they could be served. This gentleman had, had been hurting, and he said, I haven't had the money to fix this tooth. And he took out his wallet, and he said, can I make a donation to Victory Church or to Dr. Rhodes? We said, no, no, this is free. And he had a tear in his eye, and he said, you have no idea how this has affected my life. That was worth the whole day right there. We gave. The cross we wear, the offensive symbol of death, as Christians, something has happened to it. It's been transformed because no longer is it a symbol of death, but it's a symbol of the end of death. That'll preach. I wish I had another 30 minutes because I'd preach your socks off your feet this morning. <laughs> Listen to this. No, I'm going to quit. Galatians 3, but Christ has rescued us from the curse of the law. When he was hung on the cross... He took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing, for it is written in the scriptures, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Colossians chapter 2 says, Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away. Everybody say that with me, those three words. Took it away. Say it again. Come on. Took it away. Y'all, folks, the record of your wrong has been expunged. It doesn't exist. It's not a matter of God remembering it. He took it away by nailing it to his cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities and he shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. What looked like complete and utter defeat is, and I'm finishing, but I saw Forrest Gump last night and I've got an illustration that I could use for the message today. So let me close with this. Life is like a what? You never know what you're going to get. You know, I had to teach some of my family members growing up that there was a diagram in that candy box <laughs> that told them what was inside that, that chocolate because there were some, some nimrods in my house, some barbarians, that would just stick their finger down into it till the chocolate broke and they could see what was in it. <laughs> and, and, 
And I know some of you are already thinking, oh, no, I know you went ahead and ate it, you fat boy. I know you did. <laughs> nope. <laughs> let, let me go Arkansas in here. You put your finger in something, I'm not going to put it in my mouth. I had to show my family, look at this piece of paper right here. So the cross is like a piece of chocolate, except it's not sweet on the outside. You know, you can't see what's on the inside of that little thing there. There's a, there's a nougat or there's a nut. And then there's a sweet layer of delicious caramel. And then it's, it's baptized in this amazing dark chocolate. I'm going to speak in tongues right now. Hallelujah. <laughs> my, my, my. But you can't see what's in it until you either stick your finger in it or until you take a bite out of it. And the glory, the power that is in the cross is that it's wrapped in a layer of defeat. And inside that, there's a layer of suffering. But once you bite through that offense... Once you take a bite of that struggle that you're in right now that you think is the end of you, but yet God has put a seed on the inside of that struggle that you've got that's going to make you prepared for what's in your future. Amen. And when you, when you humbly submit and say, okay, God, I'm doing this by faith. I'm, I'm going to bite into this struggle that I'm facing right now. I, I, by faith, I'm going to deal with this. I'm going to quit procrastinating. Which you know is a person who can't take now for an answer. You bite into it. When you do, and then the faith of the Lord that's in you, it meets the, the provision and the blessing of God. And the beautiful thing that I end this service with this morning is Paul's statement, I, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, the good news about the cross. Because in that cross, it is the power of God unto complete deliverance, salvation. Cross of Jesus Christ, the hinge point of history, began a revolution that changed everything. We're in a dark moment in the history of our nation. Most separation, polarization I've ever seen in my life. I could list outrageous worries that we have. Whether you believe in global warming or not, folks, something's happening. It's crazy things that are happening in our weather. Just the lack of respect among people because we happen to come down on different political ideologies and, and calling everybody else that doesn't agree with us the devil. Help us, Lord. Help us, Jesus. And that kind of mess even exists in the church. Somebody else that's a different denomination. Well, you know, they don't, so, or you know, they, uh, or whatever. Just, just showing the distinctives when there's far more that unites us than there is the few things that we don't agree on, folks. Are you hearing me this morning? You need to figure that out in your family, in your relationships, and find, and major on the majors. Bite into that thing you don't know yet's there and see God reveal His sweetness and His glory and His power. Bow your hearts with me, please.